What up, son? It's the tail of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. Alright, Tale of the Tapes, Season 2, Episode 57. On today's episode, we got Cameron and rapper slash producer Jermaine Dupree. So, first and foremost, before I get into any of my opinions or predictions on either of these artists, I gotta give a shout out to my man Paul, who's a huge Cameron fan. That's Paul Turgeist to you listeners out there. <laughs> Me and him been discussing his study for years, and for me, he made Cam one of those interesting people I was excited to get up to for a couple of reasons. A couple of weeks ago, we covered Mace, and I was telling you guys about how people used to tell me, yo, Mace was dope before he signed with Bad Boy, he used to be Murder Mace, and he rapped with Big L and Cameron and yada yada. I used to get the same shit with Cam. People used to tell me the same shit with Cam. They'd be like... Yo, Cam used to be dope back in the day before he went mainstream and shit like that. Now, for me personally, I was never a huge Cameron fan, but the first Diplomatic Immunity album is one of my personal top 25 favorite hip-hop albums of all time. So again, I was not only intrigued by what people told me about early Cam, which I personally was relatively unfamiliar with for the most part, aside from like a song or two, But I was also super excited to not only listen to one of my favorite albums of all time, but to see how it scored. And last but not least, of course, I was super intrigued to do Cam to see how one of my man Paul Ligamous faves did in this study. As far as my predictions for Cam, I'm not gonna lie, man, I never really thought Cameron was very good, but did think he was relatively original. But overall, I didn't expect too much out of him in this study, to be honest, and I was, you know, Paul seems to know good hip-hop. So, when he kept bringing up Cameron to me, I was curious. Like, yo, does he just, like, like Cameron? Or does he think Cameron is, like, really good? And he would send me some Cam lines that I was like, yo, that shit is dope. And I did know that Cameron did have some dope lines or some dope verses and shit like that for sure. But... I personally was never, you know, on the same page with that. So I was definitely curious to see where he wound up. As far as Jermaine Dupree is concerned, to be quite honest with you, I'm not even sure I was aware that Jermaine Dupree had full-length albums as a rapper. I knew that he rapped, and I knew he had some songs, but like I said, I'm not sure I ever realized just how much solo material he had as a rapper, not just as a producer. That being said, regardless... We have to acknowledge that Jermaine Dupree is obviously a producer first, and we've covered some people like this on the show before, so it'll be interesting to see how he fares against some of the other rapper producers, but once I realized JD had as much solo work as he did and I put him through the test, I actually thought to myself, damn, JD might be a sleeper. That's not to say I thought he was going to finish anywhere near the top, but thought he had potential to exceed most expectations of him as a rapper. So, both of these artists today had their debut albums out in 1998, but Cameron's was out first, so we're going to start off with him. His birth name is Cameron Ezek Giles, also known as Killer Cam, born February 2nd, 1976 in New York City, United States. His genres are listed as hip-hop and East Coast hip-hop, and his years active are listed as 1993 to present. So, 
nothing really out of the ordinary there, but I'm pretty sure there should be some relatively interesting stuff in Cam's bio here. So let's check that out and see what that says. Cameron Ezekiel Giles, born February 4th, 1976, better known by his stage name Cameron, is an American rapper, record executive, and actor from Harlem, New York City. He was raised by his mother, Frederica Giles. He went to school at the Manhattan Center for Science and Mathematics, where he met his longtime friends Mace and Jim Jones. He was a promising basketball player alongside Mace, however, he was unable to take advantage of scholarship offers due to his poor academic standing. Instead, he enrolled in a college in Texas without even graduating from high school, but soon dropped out and returned to Harlem where he began selling drugs before starting his rap career. Giles was eventually introduced to the Notorious B.I.G. through his childhood friend Mace. Big introduced Giles to Lance Rivera, who signed him to his label, Entertainment, under the aegis of Epic, and released his first two studio albums, Confessions of Fire and SDE, Sports, Drugs, and Entertainment, in 1998 and 2000. The former achieved gold status by the RIAA. After demanding his release from Epic, Giles signed to Rockefeller Records in 2001 and released his third studio album, Come Home With Me, the following year. It achieved platinum status by the RIAA and also contained Cameron's highest charting singles to date, Oh Boy and Hey Ma, which peaked at number 4 and number 3 on the Billboard Hot 100 respectively. His fourth studio album and final release on Rockefeller, Purple Haze, was released in 2004 to critical acclaim and commercial success being certified gold by the RIAA. After separating his label Diplomat Records from Rockefeller in 2005 due to disagreements between himself and label head Jay-Z, Cameron signed the label to a distribution deal with Asylum Records. In 2006, Cameron released his fifth studio album, Killer Season, which contained a film of the same name, in which Cameron made his director-screenwriter debut and starred as the main character. In 2009, after taking a hiatus due to his mother's health, Cameron returned to music and released his sixth studio album, Crime Pays. It reached number three on the Billboard 200. Aside from his solo career, Cameron is the leader of the Diplomats, also known as Dipset, a group he formed in 1997 with his childhood friend Jim Jones and his cousin Freaky Ziki. He was also one half of the duo UN, short for Us Now, and a founding member of the Children of the Corn before they disbanded in 1997. Giles has also occasionally worked as an actor starring in the Rockefeller films Paper Soldiers and Paid in Full in 2002. So like I figured, some interesting stuff there for Cameron. So we spoke about Mace not too long ago, and I know Cameron and Big L were brought up because of Children of the Corn. So here we find out not only was Cameron childhood friends with Mace, but they played basketball together, and Cam was obviously a promising prospect who chose to go a different route. So interesting stuff there makes you wonder what would have been had Cam made some different choices. But as far as the music goes, nothing too, too crazy, but we do see some mainstream commercial success for Cam with two gold and one platinum albums, as well as some high-ranking singles on the Billboard Hot 100 and stuff like that. So again, nothing overly major like some of our other top guys we've covered, but some relatively impressive stuff there for Cameron. So let's get into my breakdown of Cam and see how that reads. When I first started listening to Cam, I was taken away by some of his technical skills. Although most of his rhymes were random in general, I did not realize just how good he was with multi-syllabic rhymes. 
Although he did lose his flow at times, he showed a good ability to keep a topic throughout a song. As time went on, it started to become more clear how one-dimensional Cameron was. He was mostly focused on the amount of syllables rhymed in every song, and it caused for too many weak lines and reaches. It was almost as if he was trying too hard and was willing to say things that quite frankly didn't make much sense at times, weaken the line, or even essentially just make up his own words in order to make more syllables rhyme. Cam climbed to above average lyrically quickly and stayed there throughout as he was never really able to switch gears and take it to another level without sacrificing one thing for the other. Killer had a pretty large catalog and registered 18 albums in total for scoring. Seven solo albums, six solo EPs, three albums with Dipset, and two collaboration albums with Vado. Of those 18, two were classics, another was a borderline classic, seven were great, and the remaining eight were good albums. Not even a single average album through 24 years, but it does need to be noted that both classic albums were Dipset albums as Cam didn't have any solo classics. Of his total 211 qualified songs, 21 were great, another 119 were good, and perhaps even more impressively, not a single one was weak. 66% of Cameron's songs were either good or great. That's remarkably consistent, although he did recycle songs, bars, and verses fairly often. Cameron, and even Dipset for that matter, are both household names in the hip-hop community. He's also had a fair amount of commercial success and had most males in New York wearing pink for a while, a trend he clearly set. On top of this, he had visible impacts on artists such as Joe Budden and a couple of others. When it came to originality, Cam shined. While his message and content weren't necessarily the most original, the way he delivered it, his rhyme style, and overall sound certainly were. While he did contradict himself at times, he also said a lot of things nobody else was saying. When it came to image, Killer may have worn typical brand names and big jewelry, but it always seemed to be in a unique custom fashion. So sounds like pretty decent stuff there for Cameron in general, so let's break down the math and see where Killer winds up. Lyrics, he gets a six, and like I said, I mean, Cam kind of, on Cam's first album, he started going, and I was like, oh shit, he's above average, okay, he's a five and a half, okay, he's a six, and I was like, yo, we got 17 fucking albums left. Cam is nice, bro. Now, the way that Cam got there so quickly was pretty much solely and strictly based on the amount of syllables that he was able to rhyme very consistently. But as time went on, I started to see a lot of other things from Cam, and I don't mean that as far as his versatility is concerned. I mean it in quite the opposite way, actually. So it got to a point where Cam didn't even really seem like he cared what he said anymore. As long as four or five syllables rhymed, he was just going to say it. Pewters is putin, doing, doing, and duping. And it was just, and I'm not trying to make fun of Cam or be a dick. Because again, Cam was very good with multi-syllabic rhymes. I think that he just got stuck and got this kind of tunnel vision where it was like, well, fuck if I have any dope lines. Fuck if anything makes any sense. Fuck everything. As long as at least four syllables rhymes... We're good to go here. This is an awesome song. And it's like, ah, it's not really that easy, Cam. Like, you gotta show an ability to do some other things. Um, That's not to say that Cam couldn't do anything else. But for the most part, he was just always trying to rhyme a lot of syllables. Now, 
there have been other artists that have climbed higher where their main objective was to rhyme a lot of syllables too. But there's differences here. There's other guys like MF Doom and people like that who I believe actually got the exact same lyrical score as Cameron. Very similar in the sense that, yes, a lot of syllables rhymed, but they didn't care how they got there. They would just say anything just to make the syllables rhyme. Then you have other people like Sean Price and uh, Cool G Rap and certain people like that that were also very good with multi-syllabic rhymes, but they didn't have to say things that didn't make sense to get all the syllables to rhyme. They were still able to make sense and make all the syllables rhyme. Then you have people like Eminem and stuff like that who are doing everything. They're making all the syllables rhyme. They're using rhyme schemes. They're making perfect sense. Their bars are leading into each other. Um, they have dope punchlines in the mix of all these syllables. Now, again, this is things that Cam was able to do in spots. I'm not saying Cam didn't have any dope lines in just his syllables rhyme. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, for the most part, you can see where Cam's focus and emphasis was. And again, for the most part, the other aspects of what he was saying took hits sometimes just to make a lot of syllables rhyme. So, was Cam dope with multisyllabic rhymes? He was. Was Cam an above-average lyricist? He definitely was. Did Cam have the potential to probably be an even better lyricist? I think he did. But I just think that Cam got stuck in tunnel vision and got very one-dimensional. Now, I don't want to put things on Cam. Maybe he wasn't capable of more. I don't know. But Cam definitely had some skills lyrically. It's just that he never got to that point where he took it to another level where I was like, oh, damn, okay, we're dealing with one of the best lyricists ever here. So he winds up with an above-average score of a 6 there lyrically. Albums, he gets a 5.37 with two classics. And a couple of things here. First of all, that's a very solid album score, especially considering the fact that Cam has been out for 24 years and registered 18 albums for scoring. So to get that high of a score and be that consistent throughout a course of 24 years and 18 albums is impressive by itself. To have the two extra classic album, to have the two extra points for the classic albums on top of it is, you know, a little cherry on top and is even more impressive and is obviously going to help him out mathematically at the end of the day. But again, I do feel like it is important and valid to point out that those two classic albums were both Dipset albums. And that's not me trying to shit on Cam, but again, when there's 18 albums and I believe 14 of them or so were solo because there was the two Dipset, the two at Vado, Maybe it was 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. It's like you had ample opportunity to create a classic album on your own, and you couldn't. Or, well, maybe I shouldn't say you couldn't. You didn't. Now, again, this is not coming from me saying, oh, well, I just enjoyed the Dipset albums better. We're talking about technicalities here. So when it comes to technicalities, when it comes to syllables rhymed, metaphors, similes, dope punchlines, flow, rhyme schemes used, all these things, topics kept, original song topics, stories with crazy twists and endings in them, just on and on and on. All these things are counted exactly the same on every album, no matter who it is that I'm scoring. So again, nothing has anything to do with what I'm liking. It's just that technically, those Dipset albums were better than Cameron's solo work. So I do think that when somebody has this much material, 
and they register classic albums, but they're only able to register classic albums when they're in conjunction with somebody else or a bunch of other people, it, it at least needs to be pointed out. Is Cam still going to get the two extra points for the two classic albums? Of course he is, because that's him and his group, and he, they created that, and he, he deserves that. So I'm not trying to take that away, but I, I just feel it's noteworthy to point out that none of his solo works were classic. Songs, he gets a plus one. So an even full point there for Cameron. We talk about it all the time. If you're gaining or losing, you know, plus or minus a point in this song category, that's where it starts to become significant and really have an impactful effect on your final rating. So Cameron gets a plus full point as opposed to getting a minus full point. If you think about it that way, that's a two-point swing. That obviously becomes even more significant. So while this isn't an astonishing song score like we've seen from, you know, Eminem or... Uh, AZ or Big L or whoever it was that had these ridiculous scores. Don't quote me on those names. I'm just trying to pull people out of the top of my head and I don't have the best memory. But, you know, one is not ridiculous, but it's a fucking great song score and it's substantial. So Cameron's going to get some bonus points out of that. So solid stuff there for the song score from Cameron, especially considering the fact that, again, like I said, he had a very large body of work, over 200 songs. So no slouch there when it came to songs and albums for Cameron, that's for sure. Impact, he gets a six and a half, and I think there's a couple of things to take into consideration here when we talk about Cam's impact on the hip-hop community. So, like I said in the breakdown, you know, Cameron, Dipset, anybody, well, I shouldn't say anybody correlated to them, but those two names right there are certainly household names in your hip-hop community. I'm not saying they're royalty, but they're household names in the hip-hop community. Outside the hip-hop community, probably not. So I don't want to go overboard here, but definitely well-respected and revered names in the hip-hop community. When it comes to commercial success, you can't deny that Cam had some. Again, was he a Lil Wayne or a Tupac or, you know, somebody like that where they're selling hundreds of millions of records? No, but the commercial success was there and does need to be taken into consideration. We also have to keep in mind that Cam was, in some ways, a trendsetter. Now, there's a couple of things to consider here when you're addressing this particular scenario. So, in order to be a trendsetter, you have to have some sort of an impact on people, right? If you're the type of person where anything that you do, people deem to be corny or whatever the case is. So, let me give you an example. Eminem has a line, if I'm faking, I'm Clay Aiken. And I'm sure that line went right over a lot of people's heads. But if you think about it, he's basically saying, I'm up here in public talking about I'm crazy, I'm this, I'm that, yada, yada. Can you imagine if I was lying? I'm a white dude with blonde hair and blue eyes. I'm basically a fucking boy band singer. If you take away my rough upbringing and the poor shitty neighborhood that I grew up in, if I'm faking, bro, I'm basically just Clay Aiken. I'm some blonde-haired, blue-eyed, soft-ass singer just walking around pretending to be this hard rapper, right? So if you have somebody that's looked down on and you're, you're a clown, you're a fucking dick rider, you're whatever, and you know something trendy or popular is going on and that person turns around and does it, you may have a reaction where other people say, Oh, man. Like, let's say when Jerseys first came out, right? And you get this super corny kid or whatever. I'm not trying to be a fucking bully or a clown here. I'm just being realistic. We're talking like high school days, right? And it's like, 
Oh, get that fucking jersey off, bro. I'm gonna have to go home and fucking sell my Shaq jersey or whatever it is. Like, bunch of clowns just buying jerseys now, wearing them. These motherfuckers are just following trends. Maybe this is a bad example, but I'm just trying to make a point of how some people can do some things and follow some trends and it immediately becomes untrendy because of who did it and other people are the exact opposite. So Cameron, for example, started wearing pink and other people were like, oh, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to wear pink. If Cameron Cameron's wearing pink, fuck it, right? What the fuck are they going to say? You're gay? Oh, so Cameron's gay? So you kind of get this confidence because somebody did something. I'm not saying this is what happened to me, but it happened to a lot of people. Pink was always one. I'm not trying. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Pink was always one of my favorite colors. It still is to this day. Green, yellow, and pink are my three favorite colors. So I can't say that I got the pink thing from Cameron or that I hopped on that train. Was I wearing pink? For sure I was. Because I liked pink. Not because Cameron wore it. But yeah, Cameron made it popular, right? And then it got to a point everybody started doing it and I kind of stopped doing it. Now it's kind of not really a popular thing, but it's not really like a look down upon thing. So if I have, actually I have pink pants on right now. I just realized it. I'm literally wearing pink sweatpants right now. (laughs) So again, another crazy ironic coincidence. I absolutely promise you I did not wake up this morning and put on pink pants because I was doing Cameron's episode. As a matter of fact, I didn't know when I got dressed whose episode I was doing today. So I didn't find that out until after I was dressed, and here we are, ironically enough, I'm wearing pink pants. But I don't want to stray too far from my point. I'm just trying to make a point that, yes, this has to do with your impact. Not only did you have people copying you, but we have to take into consideration why people were copying you to begin with, because you obviously hold a certain amount of weight to certain people, and that's impactful. When you do something that nobody else is doing and everybody starts copying it, that's impactful. So we got to keep in mind that, yeah, Cameron and Dipset household names in the hip-hop community, but not outside of it. Yes, Cameron had some commercial success, maybe not the most ridiculous, but it was there. Cameron had people wearing pink for a while. Now, I want to point out again that other people wearing pink has more to do with Cameron's impact on hip-hop. Cameron himself wearing pink has more to do with Cameron's originality. So had Cameron started wearing pink and nobody else started copying him, he would have just gotten originality for it, not necessarily impact. But because he came out and did it when nobody else was, he's getting originality for that. And because everybody else started copying him, he's also getting impact for that. So again, It's just all these things that you have to keep into consideration. It's not an overabundance of things where I think Cam deserves a 9 here for impact, but certainly a well above average impact there for Cam, and he gets a a 6.5. Originality, he gets an 8.5. And again, it's, it's numerous things here. I just spoke to you about how nobody would ever really be caught wearing pink in the hip-hop industry. And if they did, they probably would be made fun of. I remember Nas had pink on at one point, And when him and Jay-Z started beefing, it was niggas in pink suits trying to get cute. You a little out of line, homie. So even somebody like Nas could be attacked for wearing pink, right? So for Cam to just come out and start wearing this shit regularly and have a pink Escalade and a pink mink coat and be extreme with this shit... 
and not get abused, not give a fuck what anyone think, and then had people start copying him, it's not only impactful, but it's super original. On top of the pink shit, which I don't want to get too, too caught up on the pink shit, but on top of that, no, his message and content weren't necessarily original, but the way that he delivered that message and that content, you know, with the multi-syllabic rhymes and some of the retarded, stupid things that he said and his rhyme style and even his overall sound. I mean, Dipset had a different sound than everybody with the, the fast hi-hats in the background and they just, you know, Dipset had their own sound and Cam was not only a part of that group, but was one of the originators of that group. So I think that Cam needs to be given credit in this originality department and he gets a great score of eight and a half there. So you add all those six numbers up because you have the classic album. So it's not five. You're adding the lyric score, the album score, the two classic albums, the song score, the impact score, and the originality score. And then you're dividing by five because we have five categories. That gives you a final rating of 5.87, which puts Cameron in a tie for 22nd place of 190 artists done overall. So like I said earlier in the intro of the episode, I was never the biggest Cameron fan, but I didn't hate him. That being said, I can't lie, definitely did not expect Cam to finish this high. That finish of 22nd place puts him in a direct tie with Ghostface Killer of Wu-Tang. So again, interesting stuff there. Two artists you probably wouldn't equate to one another there with very different styles, sounds, approaches, and scores. But finishing a dead tie so far at the end of the day. This also should certainly put Cam right around our top 50 when all is said and done. So major shout outs to Cameron for a solid finish. And shout outs to my dude Paul for calling a nice sleeper pick here for sure. I see you homie. So now let's get into rapper slash producer Jermaine Dupree. Who had his debut solo album out in 1998 as well. Born September 23rd, 1972 in Asheville, North Carolina, United States. Other names, JD and Don Chichi. Years active are listed as 1984 to present. His origins listed as Atlanta, Georgia, United States. And his genres are listed as hip-hop and R&B. So again, we see some pretty basic stuff there for Jermaine Dupree. So let's check out some background info on JD and see if we can find any additional information there. Jermaine Dupree Malden was born September 23, 1972, the son of Tina Mosley and Michael Malden, a Columbia Records executive. Dupree's promising musical career began before he was even 10 years old. His father, also an Atlanta talent manager, had coordinated a Diana Ross show in 1982. To the delight of concert goers, Dupree managed to get on stage and dance along with Ross. Dupree got his start as a dancer for the hip-hop group Houdini when he was 12. He made an appearance in their music video for the song Freaks Come Out at Night. He began performing around the country, appearing with Herbie Hancock and Cameo, before he opened up the New York Fresh Festival with Run DMC, Houdini, and Grandmaster Flash. So there was actually, surprising enough, to me at least, very little info on J.D., I had to dig pretty deep to even find what I found, and even that wasn't anything too overboard, but we do see that JD seemed almost destined to be in the music business. Between his father being a record exec and him dancing with Diana Ross and stuff like that all by the age of 10, it's pretty clear that the stage was set for this man at a pretty young age, so let's get into my write-up of Jermaine Dupri and see if any of that translates into a strong finish. 
I'm sure most people look at Jermaine Dupri as a producer and not a rapper, and I think that's fair. But the fact of the matter is that JD did have two solo albums as a rapper. So while he may be more of a producer, he did in fact do both. Not for nothing, but JD wasn't too bad as a rapper. While he didn't do much special lyrically, he was decent with different rhyme schemes and was able to keep a topic well for a whole song. On top of that, he rarely had many negatives when it came to technicalities and finished average lyrically overall. Though his production catalog may be large, as a rapper he only qualified two albums for scoring, both of which were good. Of his 31 total songs registered, none were great or weak, but he did have nine good songs. Strictly speaking, as a rapper, Jermaine Dupri's impact wasn't large, especially considering he had no visible impacts on any other MCs thus far. We do have to keep in mind, though, that not only was he a big-time producer, but he is also the owner of the successful label So So Def Recordings, which has housed many decent names, most of whom he has worked with as a rapper. His impact as a rapper obviously holds more weight in this particular study, but both do have to be taken into consideration. There wasn't too much very unique or original about JD in general from rhyme style to image to content, but he also seemed to have his own flavor and produced most of his own music. So sounds like mostly mediocre stuff there for JD, which again, if you thought this guy was only a producer, you may be pleasantly surprised by some of the numbers, so let's get into the math for JD and check out where he ended up. Lyrics he gets a 5, like I spoke about, there really wasn't too much positive or negative when it came to JD lyrically um he did you know he did show the ability to utilize some rhyme schemes and things like that but no overabundance of like great or weak lines or nothing like that it was for the most part just average stuff for JD and again with only 31 songs I mean he didn't give himself that much room to really climb too far above or below average now again if he was amazing or terrible yeah that would have gone to a seven or whatever or down to a three but again, in 31 songs, it would be hard for you to really get anywhere of real note, like to the point where you're all the way at the top or all the way at the bottom of a list. So, remained average for the majority of those 31 songs, so he gets a lyrical score of 5 there. Album is he gets a 4.46 with zero classics, which, again, like we spoke about, only the two albums, but both good albums, so I mean, a good score there for JD. Songs he gets a zero, only 31 songs, no weak songs, no great songs, so that's just a wash there, he gets a zero. Impact he gets a five and a half, and again, there's just so many things to take into consideration here. When you talk about JD just as a rapper, it's probably a below average impact. I mean, a lot of people are not even really aware of the fact that JD actually has more than one album as a rapper. Some people are not even really aware of the fact that he raps at all. Or maybe just thought that he just had random verses on some of his beats with other people, but he, you know, doesn't have like his own songs. He certainly has his own rap songs. He certainly has his own rap albums and things like that. So, certainly a rapper. But again, a very small body of work. He would be below average when it comes to just a rapper. But again, he would be above average when it comes to just a producer. So, both of those things have to be taken into consideration. I think that when you consider all that he did as a producer... And then you consider what he did as a rapper. Again, the rapper thing holds more weight. But I still think that overall it's just above average. Just based on his name in the industry and things like that. So he gets a just above average score of 5.5 for impact there. And originality he gets the same thing 5.5. And, and again, like I said, it, it's very tough 
to really gauge somebody's originality on such a short body of work like this. I mean, in all fairness, they're not even really giving themselves that much of a chance to really grow as an artist and do some really original things that are unique to only them. That's not to say that JD didn't do anything that was original, but there wasn't an overabundance of anything original, whether it came to his image, his sound, his content, his message, just things like that. Most of that stuff was typical hip-hop stuff. I don't want to say that he bit things from people or that he copied or he wasn't himself or anything like that, but just nothing overly original. But again, I do think that we have to keep in mind that to a certain extent, JD had his own flavor and he produced most of his own music. So for somebody to just be thrown in a room with, you know, let's say some speakers and, and an NPC and a microphone and a computer and come out with some shit that sounds as good as what JD put out, I mean, you have to give the guy credit. You know, he doesn't need anything to create a record. So I think that that does bode to your originality at least a little bit. And I thought that the fact that he didn't take an overabundance from people and things like that, there wasn't really anything that drilled him down unoriginally. And then you couple in the fact that a little bit he had his own flavor, his own record label, um you know, produce most of his own music and stuff like that. I think those little things are enough just to keep him right above average at a five and a half for originality there. So you add all those five numbers up and you divide by five and that gives you a final rating of 4.09, which leaves Jermaine Dupree in a six-way tie for 122nd place of 190 artists done overall. So, is that a great finish for JD? Certainly not, but it's also not a horrible one, and considering this guy was much more of a producer than a rapper, and much more successful in that end of the spectrum, the dude only managed to drop two hip-hop albums as his side hustle, and still finished not that far back from the halfway mark. So again, it's nothing special, but we gotta give these rapper-slash-producer guys some credit where... They're holding their own with some of the big dogs in a field that really isn't even their own. Four of the five people he's in a tie with have been covered, so I will reveal those names, but not the one that we haven't covered. Four of those five people he's tied for 122nd place with are Salt and Pepper, MC Shan, and Big Psych of the Outlaws. If most of these rappers that are ahead of JD were asked to make a production album, it would probably pale in comparison to Jermaine Dupree's rap albums. So just try to keep that in perspective and let's give JD some of the credit that he deserves here. So now we're going to get into our list and we're going to start off with our top 10% overall so far. In our top spot overall, we have Eminem who's in first place of 190 artists done overall. Directly behind him in second place, we have Jay-Z. Directly behind Jay is Big Pun who's in third. Directly behind Pun in 4th is Vinny Paz of Jedi Mind Tricks. Directly behind him is AZ who's in 5th. Directly behind him in 6th is Big L. Directly behind L is Nas who's in 7th. Directly behind Nas in 8th is Method Man. And a couple of slots back from him is Black Thought of the Roots who's in 10th. Directly behind him in 11th is Killer Priest. And directly behind Priest, we have a three-way tie between Tupac, Biggie, and Jadakiss, who are in a three-way tie for 12th place. Behind them in 15th, we have DMX. Directly behind him in a tie for 16th place, we have Pharaoh Manch and Jusselah of Jedi Mind Tricks. 
Behind them, we have KRS-One, who's in 19th. And directly behind him, we have Rock of Helter Skelter, who's in 20th place of 190 artists done overall. So, no changes to this list today, as Cameron finishes just a couple of spots out of our top 10% overall here. So, let's get into our top 10% lyrically so far. In our top spot, we have Eminem, who received a lyrical score of 9.5. In a five-way tie behind him for second place, we have Pharaoh Monch, Black Thought of the Roots, Nas, AZ, and Vinnie Paz of Jedi Mind Tricks, who all got lyrical scores of eight and a half. Behind them in a three-way tie for seventh is Method Man, Jay-Z, and Big Pun, who all got lyrical scores of eight. Behind them in a four-way tie for tenth place, we have Master Ace, Jizza, Common, and Big L, who all got lyrical scores of seven and a half. And then behind them, in a six-way tie for our last spot, we have KRS-One, Lord Finesse, Sean Price, Slug of Atmosphere, Jadakiss of the Locks, and Killer Priest, who all got lyrical scores of seven. So no changes to this one today either, so shout out to all of our top lyricists so far, no question. Now let's get into our particular decades list. We'll start off with our top artists to make their debut in the 1980s. So your top five artists to come out in the 80s are KRS-One, Slick Rick, Rakim, Rev Run of Run DMC, and LL Cool J. Spots all but cemented here, so major shout out to the legends there. Now let's move on to our 90s decade. Your top five artists to come out in the 90s are Eminem, Jay-Z, Big Pun, Vinnie Paz, and AZ. So second week in a row now, no one cracks this list, which is for the second half of the 90s become the hardest list to crack. And although I'm not sure anyone else is going to crack it going forward, I think we may have a new hardest list to crack now. Let's check out our top regional list and see what I'm talking about. So we're going to start off in our East Coast. Your top three artists to come out of the East Coast thus far are Jay-Z from Brooklyn, New York, Big Pun from the Bronx, New York, and Vinnie Paz from Philadelphia, and Vinnie Paz of Jedi Mind Tricks from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Moving across to our West Coast, your top three artists to come out of the West so far are Tupac from Marin County, California, Razkaz from Carson, California, and Ice Cube of NWA from Los Angeles, California. Moving down South, your top three artists to come out of the South thus far are Lil Wayne from New Orleans, Louisiana. Andre 3000 of Outkast from Atlanta, Georgia, and Big Boy, also of Outkast and also from Atlanta, Georgia. Moving over to your Midwest, your top three artists to come out of the Midwest thus far are Eminem from Detroit, Michigan, Proof, also from Detroit, Michigan, and Common from Chicago, Illinois. So... None of our artists able to crack any of these lists here today, and what I was referencing earlier is this top three artists to come out of the East Coast. I gotta say, right now, man, I'll be pretty surprised if anyone at all cracks that list going forward for the entire remainder of this podcast, so crazy, crazy stuff there. Nonetheless, I certainly want to give a shout out to everyone that's on any of these lists here today. Well deserving of a spot, so major shout out to all these artists on here doing their thing, both past and present. If you'd like to see any of the lists in full, you can give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash tale of the tapes podcast. You can also give the host website a visit at www.anchor.fm slash tale of the tapes. Both of those links are spelled completely normally. Please do your boy a favor and hit the support button on the host website. I greatly appreciate that. And... 
that's a wrap for today's episode. Next week, we'll be covering Cannabis and the hip-hop duo Black Star, which consists of Most Def and Talib Kweli, both of whom made the cut. And I promise you, this is definitely not an episode you want to miss. Trust me. Tale of the Tapes. Peace. Tale of the Tapes. Tale of the Tapes.